Welcome to the podcast. My name's Greg. My name's Alicia. And we are excited to be back after a mini hiatus to record another episode of Blood, Fear, and Beer. Word. Word. (laughs) Did you forget how to podcast in the short time that we've been away? I apparently have, yes. I think I have too. We're a little rusty here. We are. So bear with us. And also thank you for bearing with us while we took our hiatus because we had to rescue and an amazing puppy he's the best we are already training him to love horror movies and so far it's working alicia has been working hard at that mm-hmm. he is a fan of evil dead yep he's a fan of evil dead too evil dead too and he seemed to really enjoy a tale of two sisters and ash versus evil dead so i think we can safely say that scout is an evil dead fan i think he is and he has shown very little interest in any other television I can 100% attest to that. Like, no joke. He doesn't really pay attention to anything but horror. And I'm not sure why. So I'm just going to pretend it's because he likes it. But I think it might actually be because of the the screaming and the chainsaw sounds. Possibly. Oh, and just a heads up to everybody listening. You might hear some nature sounds on this episode. Perhaps a bird or two. Because we have the sliding glass door open so our dog can run in and out of the patio. It's the all-natural edition for the all-natural killers edition. Nice. So we watched this movie about, what was it, four weeks ago? Yeah. About four weeks ago. So my memory's a little rusty, but I remember most of it. Thankfully, I've seen it more than once. And you've seen this movie a zillion times, right? I have. I have. I actually felt better about it, a little bit better, I'd say. I was looking through some of the facts on this, uh-huh. and uh For those of you that are new to the podcast, because if you're not, then you know that we both love Lance Nelson and Trent Reznor, and we are big, big fans. (laughs) And uh, Trent Reznor did the the scoring for this, or actually did the mixing. I didn't know that. I I knew that he, you know, like made a song for this soundtrack, and then they used other Nine Inch Nelson music. Yeah. But I didn't know that he actually did the mixing for the sound. And it showed that in the facts that he had watched this film 50 times. To make sure that he, like, got the film right. Oh, shit. <laughs> and I was like, all right, cool. That's my man. Was this the first movie that he did the soundtrack for? Or was it Lost Highway? Or something different? Well. Like the mixing. I the don't know that he somewhere. did the mixing for Lost Highway. Or did he do, did he do the whole soundtrack? No. It's, I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure on whether he did mixing. I just know that he had done music. He, like, made an original song for... Lost Highway, I believe. Okay. Was it The Perfect Drug? I think so. Okay. I don't know. I I actually didn't really watch that movie because I'm not a big David Lynch fan. I'm not either, and I really want to try. 
Yeah, I, I want to try. Mostly for Trent. I'm not saying that I want to be, but I'm going to give it a try. Because I know people love him. And I know people that I like love him. So Same. maybe. I just know that one of the largest waste of my time in recent years, since like grade school, has been literally going through the entire... What's that? I can't remember what the whole name of the show was. Twin Peaks? Twin Peaks. Oh, man. We I just lost that, all of our listeners. I watched that entire <laughs> show on the basis that Trent Reznor said it was one of his favorite shows. Yeah. And I thought there was some redemption in it. Nothing. And there was nothing. Nothing. Did you even watch the movie, The Firewalk With Me? No, I couldn't go that far. No, you didn't get that far. I was done. Okay. I was so mad. I was oh, so man. mad. It was the stupidest thing. I kind of have a feeling that if you didn't like... The flavor after watching the entire Twin Peaks series that you're probably not going to be a David Lynch fan. That's where I also reside. Okay, so listeners out there, I know a lot of you are David Lynch fans. If you have any recommendations for David Lynch movies that we might enjoy if we did not enjoy Twin Peaks, let us know and we will check it out. Maybe. Maybe. If we feel like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now that we're back on Blood, Fear, and Beer, it's only appropriate to celebrate with some beer. Damn skippy. So what are you drinking tonight? That looks incredibly delicious. And I really have to say I admire that fancy glass you're drinking from. It's a nice looking glass. It is. So Greg had made for my birthday, which was on the 17th. Happy birthday, Alicia. Thank you. Also, happy birthday, Trent Reznor. We have the same birthdays. It's my favorite thing about myself. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> that I share a birthday with Trent Reznor. But you got me these awesome glasses that you had your sister etch for us. And it says blood, fear, and beer around the rim. So I'll do some, nice. some pictures of those later. Very, Very cool. Nice. So what are you drinking? I have a brew from the Farm Island Brewing Company. And it's called Organic IPA, which is one of the most boring names for a beer that I can imagine. <laughs> what would you the can for looks a bunch boring. The name is boring, but it smells but my amazing. my God, does it smell good. And, and it, it looks, looks good. It looks super good. I want to taste that when you're done. I'm not going to lie. It's a little bland. No way. Really? Yeah. Let me try I don't know. Maybe my taste buds are... Oh, it looks so good. It does. Yeah, organic IPA. It tastes like just hops. Yeah. Like no flavor, just, only only like hops. Like they just like, put hops in boiling water. It's like <laughs> carbonated hops. Yeah. What are you drinking? Well, mine is not terribly exciting because I've definitely had it on the show before, but I didn't really have any beer on standby. So I'm drinking a classic, which is the... Big Wave Golden Ale from the Kona Brewing Company. Which is I just love... a great classic beer. I feel like everybody likes this beer. I have family members who aren't into beer, friends who don't really like beer, and just about everybody seems to like this one. It's a great all-purpose beer. Want a taste of that? Yeah, I haven't had it in a while. Very refreshing. Yeah, the, the organic IPA name, it just reminds me of like orange drink. Or grape drink. Yeah. You know, like the most boring thing you could possibly imagine. Do you need a new beer? Maybe. I'll see you. I got you two just in case. There's a backup in there. There's a backup? We have backup. I hate wasting beer. I know, but... But life's too short. But to life's too short beer. for shitty beer. I gotta say, I'm sorry. Get that, I'm not, get I'm not, that hoppy lager. I'm not loving it. All right. We're switching beers, people. All right. You got yourself a new beer. I do. This one is the Amigo Lager. From the Port Brewing Company, not to be confused with the Pizza Port Company. Oh, thank you for that clarification. All right. So we've had their beers. This is the first port of pizza. Just port. It It looks good. It's pretty tasty. It actually tastes a lot like the uh, Stone's Buena 
Buena Vesa. Buena Vesa. Oh, I love yeah, that it's one. like a, just like a nice lager. It's supposed to be like an IPA lager, but I don't taste IPA. It doesn't it. taste hoppy. I would no. probably try love it? it then. Yeah. Oh, this one smells like a refreshing Mexican beer. Yeah. Oh yeah, I have beer envy. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, good. Awesome. I have, it's one of the big ones. <laughs> that's very tasty. All right, we've got our beers. We are good to go. We are good to go. Okay, so we are covering Natural Born Killers, directed by Oliver Stone, written by Quentin Tarantino. Yes. And if you've seen this Why movie... Why I'm sorry? Screenplay. Screenplay. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they did more. Yeah. yeah. But if you've seen this movie, it's pretty obvious that Quentin Tarantino was involved. Not as much as I thought, though. No? Well, I mean, it is pretty obvious, but reading into it, I guess they took his script and like ran with it. And Quentin Tarantino was apparently hated this movie for a very long time. Really? Yeah. Because he was mad that his name was associated with it. And that he thought that people would think that he was the culprit behind it, and that they would judge his work. Wow. People love this movie, though. Yeah, that's when he turned around and was like, okay. Once it became an established cult classic, because this movie is like the epitome of a cult classic. Right. Like, critics hate it. Audiences love it. Yeah. I don't know anybody who hates this movie. Yeah, I I was reading one of the IMDb quotes. Did I get it right that time? IMDb. 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 I was reading one of the trivia facts on that, and... One of them was that Quentin Tarantino hated this until years later, he actually ran into Johnny Cash <laughs> in an elevator. And Johnny Cash was like, me and my wife, Jim, big fans of that. Are you serious? Killers movie. <laughs> okay, I can see Johnny Cash, yeah, but June, I know, I like June Carter June like loves this. Natural Born Killers, that's awesome. I know, I love that. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> and I didn't realize this was before... You know, Quentin Tarantino had really... He had never made a movie at that point. So this was helped get his name out so that people would make his movie. And he actually sold the rights to this. So he didn't actually get writer's credit on it. I think he got... There was some other clarification or like distinction between being a writer and being a screenwriter or something like that. Oh, interesting. Or something like that. So he sold the rights to it and they were cool about it. And I think they still gave him writer's credit. Because I think that's like something to do with... I don't know if it's just in the name of the credits when it's going down or if there's actually something in like the guild or you actually have like a writer's credit. Okay. Anyways, this is uh, his first jam. I'm really curious now to know if this was Trent Reznor's first work on a, a movie soundtrack. I'm going to look into that. But yeah, one of my favorite things about this movie and especially revisiting it after not having seen it for so many years, I think it's been at least seven or eight years since I've watched it. And I can't remember the first time I saw it. I don't know if it was when I was in high school or if it was when you and I started dating because you were a huge fan of this movie. So I can't remember. But especially this time around, the soundtrack was one of my favorite things about this movie. And there were so many just nostalgic songs on there that reminded me of the music I was super into in high school. Big time. Including Nine Inch Nails, which is still you know, our number one favorite, but all kinds of stuff that just brought me back. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to shoot the shit a little bit and talk about some of our favorite bands from high school. Just take a little trip down memory lane. Yeah, why not? (laughs) This movie is a trip down memory lane, so. Yeah, for sure. And all of the bands that I have on my list are bands that I like because I feel really nostalgic about, but I genuinely still like most of these bands quite a bit. Yeah. Okay, so I have always loved... Music of every kind. Even country? 
Love Johnny Cash. That's, that's a cop-out. It is not, because that you told me. That is a country cop-out. No, you bring that up every time I say I hate country. You like Johnny Cash's country, so oh, don't turn that around. But you don't even like his most country stuff. You I do like not. Punk? I do, have a, I do have a punk band on here. Why are you giving me shit? Because <laughs> people <laughs> say that. Are you trying that, to get back into your high school <laughs> Yeah, <or> totally. <laughs> back to 16-year-old Greg, no, uh, Mr. Contrarian? <laughs> yeah. People say that, and then they're full of shit. Okay, so... I like a lot of music. I like a lot of a range of music, but say I like all music. I like a wide range of music. Okay. Does that work for you? Yeah, that's better. All right, cool. Okay, so the first band I have on my list is a metal band from Canada called Kitty. Oh, yeah. I still love that band, and I actually had the chance to go see them at a small venue here in Orange County. I think it was... It feels like it just happened, but I think it was nine or ten years ago. But I went with my brother to this little venue called Chain Reaction, and the entire venue is about the size of the first floor of our house. Really small, awesome place to see metal shows, but they were fantastic. And for anyone who's not familiar with that band, it is an all-female metal band, and they're super badass, super awesome, and they've been around since the late 90s. And the singer and the drummer are sisters, and they started this band when they were 13 years old. So their first album came out when they were 13, 14 years old. So awesome. And they've just been badass ever since. Super awesome. But every time I hear them now, it just brings me right back to when I was obsessed with them in high school and they still kick ass. Nice. Yeah, they're fun. I think I got yeah. to see them once. Oh, did you? Yeah. Nice. Were they like opening for somebody? I think so, yeah. Or, oh, yeah, they were awesome. I love them. I think we actually went there to see them, but I think they were opening. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember who they were opening or who they were playing with. Really cool band. You want to Yeah, who do you got? What do you got? I don't on know. I forgot to do that. You know. <laughs> Surprise, surprise. Greg doesn't have a list. <laughs> Got him up in your brain? Yeah. All right. What did you like? In no particular one? order. So, I mean, uh, let me just name off a couple of things real quick because there's still, like you said, I feel like we had pretty good taste in music. Like a lot of the stuff I listened to in high school, I still listen to today. Yeah. Same. Um, so, Nine Inch Nails, obviously. Yeah. Marilyn Manson. I was into. Perfect Circle. Oh, not really in high school, huh? Not really in high school, no. Tool. Tool. Tool, Tool I was into. Yeah. And I would also say. Alice in Chains was a big one. Yes. That's on my list. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's bands that I feel like, okay, there's, I'm still into today, but then there's other bands that like, I don't mind listening to now for nostalgic purposes, but I can objectively say it's really not that great of a band, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Or if I were to hear it for the first time today, not necessarily would be a big fan. One of those in particular is probably Stabbing Western. They had one of their, I'm not sure if it was their self-titled album. I really enjoyed it, and I still enjoy it to this day. Nice. You know, but there's definitely, it's not something I'm super proud of either, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I refuse to be embarrassed by any bands that I've ever liked, and you should too. Don't be embarrassed. Okay. That's all. I've got a a good one after this one. you got a good one? Okay, so my next one is, is also a band that I still love. Most of these bands are bands that I actually got into in middle school. And then really got into in high school. Um, but the next one I have on my list is Garbage. Oh, nice. I love Garbage. <laughs> Still do. Shirley Manson is awesome. I like just about everything that they've put out. But the Bleed Like Me album that came out my first year of high school is my favorite, hands down. So good. I remember them being really cool. Yeah. I wasn't super into them, but I remember being like, okay, it's, this is legit. It's good shit. So Shirley okay. Manson is the best. Garbage. Is that, that's her real name, right? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Oh, was it just like a rock star thing? I think her name's Shirley Manson. Okay. I'm not sure. Not like Marilyn Manson? Not like Marilyn Manson. Yeah. yeah. Marilyn Manson is also on my list, but I still really enjoy 
the first few albums especially. But I actually went to see Marilyn Manson too a couple years ago with my friend Sylvia. We were huge fans in high school and middle school. And I've never left a show early before because it was so bad. It was awful. Well, that man is a mess. Yeah. Sadly. Well, there's some like... I mean, he's always been a mess. There's some shit coming out with him now about like abusing women that he's been with and all kinds of shit. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised either, but... It's, like, harder to listen to him now, like, the more respect you lose for him over time. But those first few albums still just kick major ass, especially oh, they, fuck, yeah. Antichrist Superstar and Portrait of American Family yeah. just kick those ass. Those two will, yeah, ultimately kick ass. So good. And I know that Trent was definitely involved with both of those yeah. to some degree, especially, especially Portrait. Well, I mean, Antichrist, there's just... The balls on that album. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that was... I remember when that shit came out, and I remember fucking churches going and like protesting in the streets. Oh, people and, lost like, their people shit. People are losing their shit. I bought that album when I was in sixth grade, going into seventh. It was like the end of sixth grade, and we used to have an Fye Records near us, and my mom was totally cool with it, and she basically told me, as long as you don't turn into an asshole, you can listen to whatever you want. As long as you, you know, you don't have an attitude. Yeah, just be cool. And my dad was like, absolutely not. No way. So sorry, dad, if you're listening. But my mom actually took me to FYE to secretly buy the explicit versions of all the Manson albums that were out at the time. And that was like hugely important to me during that time. Good news is he didn't turn into an asshole. I don't think so. Your mom might beg to differ during that time. (laughs) (laughs) I was a shitty 14 year old, but it wasn't because of Marilyn Manson. (laughs) Yeah. Who else you got? Mindless self-indulgence. Yes. Yes, that's on my list. I, that is like so one of fun. the worst bands that I Oh, love. they're terrible, they're, but so fun. The Frankenstein Girls are oddly sexy or strangely <laughs> sexy album. It's just, to this day, I still feel it's a masterpiece of garbage. Yes, that's the perfect way to describe it. A masterpiece of garbage. It is. It's so fucking good. I love it. <laughs> I do too. Oh, man. And it just cracks me up. Because my friend Doris and Erica in middle school, they actually had a talent show. And to this day, I just commend them for the courage that they had for doing this. And it was like, because they're not normally the get up and perform type of people either. Yeah. And in eighth grade, they put on a talent show and people were up there doing like Mariah Carey and shit, singing and belting their heart out. <laughs> and just like all the most traditional things you could think of from a normal talent show. And Doris and Erica, and I think it was one other gentleman friend that went up there, they put on a mindless self-indulgence performance where they just dressed to the max and like the most punk clothes they possibly could. They had the strobe lights going. They had the fog machine going. And all they did was just go up and like dance and like, but crazily. Oh my God. You know, to mindless <laughs> self-indulgence. I can see it. <laughs> and the look on everybody's faces and the teacher's faces and everything when it happened. And I'm telling you, everything before this, everyone was just like... A little mind. golf clap. little golf clap. The whole, all the teachers, all the students were just like standing ovation cheering. No way, it was like really? the coolest thing they've ever That's seen. That's so awesome. <laughs> I would have loved to see that. Oh my gosh. Very, very fond memory. Speaking of punk, I'm really not into most punk music and it's going to sound like a very stuck up reason, but I have a really hard time listening to music that doesn't sound good. You know what I mean? I like music that's well-produced and pleasing to the ears and just 
I don't want to say like polished, but I guess just well-produced is the best way to describe it. And I have mad respect for punk music and what it stands for and just the whole vibe, but I don't enjoy listening to it very much. But the one exception is a band called The Distillers, Mm. who I was a huge fan of, especially the Coral Fang album. I still love that album. And the singer Brody Dale is a super badass, and she was actually married to Josh Holm, one of my other favorite artists, for years and years. I think they only recently split like last year or something, but they were just a super badass duo for a long time. Very cool. But I was a, yeah, I I was a big fan them. of them. That was the most I ever got into, like, quote-unquote, punk music. Black Label Society? Oh, yeah. Shit. I was super into them. I remember that. Yeah, I, I remember. big time into them. Yeah. That, that's one of the few bands that I am no longer into. Yeah, because um, Zach Wilde is a tool or just because they're not good? <laughs> or because they suck? Or both? I think it initially the, the Savage was realizing what a tool he was. Yeah. And then over time... There's still some songs I have to admit when it comes on, like, I'll still have fun with it, yeah. just nostalgically, you know? And obviously, he's a very talented guitarist, so there's some songs that are just, like, pleasing to listen to because they're good. But, I mean, I even at the time, I remember just how hilarious, like, there's nobody else that could pull off Zach Wilde-ish guitar, just, like, crazy metal guitar, and then screaming at the top of your lungs, Jesus! <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, he has locked like that. No. Like, that is a literal lyric. <laughs> you just reminded me, speaking of Jesus, hell yeah. I was super into Depeche Mode in high school. Oh, I mean, come on. Yeah, super. I still love them, but I was like super, super into Depeche Mode. I think a large Good portion shit. of the population is into Depeche Mode. So. Yeah, and it's about, you can't be the resident goth kid at your high school without being obsessed with Depeche Mode. It's illegal. Right. I had a very brief stint with Depression Mode, surprisingly. Like, Depression Mode. <laughs> I feel like people would have called it that to make fun of me yeah, for listening to them. You listening to Depressed Mode? Totally. <laughs> yeah, I remember very distinctly because I was not into them at all. And then I very briefly got... It was at the time they had come out with like their best... Uh, it was a double disc. Or they were like a red and blue disc. And I listened to that nonstop for... Like six months. Yeah. And I just stopped listening. I was super into them. I kind of did the same thing after like my second year of high school. I was listening to their albums over and over and over. And then I just stopped like forever. Right. Until recently. And then I got back into them again. Good shit. It is. I would like to see. That would be a fun fantasy life. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. Are they still playing? I don't know. I'm sure they'll come back. They'll come back around. They're probably dead. They're not (laughs) dead. (laughs) No, I think they just had an album come out not that long ago. Like within the oh, last, I think like, five I think years. you're right. I think like 2018 or something they had. Yeah, yeah you're right. You gotta check that out. Got anybody else? Gravity Kills. That was another one that was industrial. I've never heard of that band before ever. They were like a, they were akin. They were kind of like um, Stabbing Westward, where it was like both industrial metal but also kind of modern pop, I guess if you will. Okay. Like just trying to be a little bit more. Mainstream. Gravity Kills. Okay. Yeah, they have some good stuff. I, I enjoy them. them. And then I think there was Kill Switch. Kill Switch Engage? Yeah, yeah. My brother is a huge fan of them, or was a huge fan of them. Were they the ones who did that cover of Number of the Beast? Or am I thinking of somebody completely different? Are you no. talking about the slow cover? Yeah. It's totally not them, is it? No. No, it's you totally know, that not. That was Billy Corgan. <laughs> who? Billy Corgan from The Smashing Pumpkins. You're talking about the slow acoustic version? Yeah. Yeah, slow acoustic version. That was Billy Corgan's band, his solo. It was on the soundtrack for Spun. Oh, it was Zwan. 
Yeah, that's Billy Corgan's. No solo way. Band. Yeah. That's the Smashing Pumpkins guy? Yeah. Is that the same singer? Billy Corgan, yeah. I don't believe it. Believe it. I don't believe it. I always. But now that you mentioned it, Smashing Pumpkins was one of them. Yeah. I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I've always really disliked that band, no, Smashing fair. Pumpkins, but I had no idea that was him. Well, you <laughs> have a thing because you. Um, are very particular when it comes to Vocals. vocalists. I really am. I I sound. I feel like I sound like such a music snob, but like you are, it I has can see to, up your nose right now. You, <laughs> it just it has to sound pleasing to my ears, and his voice does not sound pleasing to my ears. But we can't start talking about bands we hate because I don't want to. I just mentioned that that was one that I like. I know, but I was going to go down that road. Don't go down that road. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like we have a lot of overlap as far as like style and some of the core bands that we still love but i feel like you went more in the industrial direction and i went more into like deep into metal yeah i was super into metal in high school to the point where i was getting into like norwegian black metal bands like demi borgir and embarrassingly cradle of filth i was super into them for a while they're terrible so bad that sounds like a wine sauce demi borgir yeah yeah they had some good bolognese yeah that was good shit i also from middle school i loved slipknot Lamb of God, the American quote-unquote new metal, they called it, but all, all kinds of shit. Yeah, I was getting into Skinny Puppy and Ministry. And oh my God, Skinny Puppy should have been on my list. I still love Skinny yes, Puppy. Yes, me too. The, uh, was it? Rabies. Rabies, yeah. That was like my favorite. Yeah. Was it Amnesia? Too Dark Park. Was it called Amnesia? Oh, The Process. That's what it was called. And there's a song on it called, I don't Amnesia. know. I think. Maybe. Maybe. You have amnesia about it? <laughs> I think I have amnesia. <laughs> yeah, there, okay, there is a song called Amnesia. <laughs> the Process. <laughs> what about Orgy? I love Orgy. Yes, Are you kidding me? I, I still love, love orgy. orgy. Fuck yeah. So good. <laughs> Stitches. <laughs> Blue Monday. Blue Monday. Fiction was one of oh, my yeah, favorites. Okay. Yeah, they had good shit, man. Yeah. Whenever mm-hmm. I'm doing like a mix on or letting Apple mix my shit, they start playing that. I'm like, nice. Same. The last one I have on my list, I'm still a huge fan of, and it's fronted by one of my favorite people on the whole world, but the Dresden Dolls. Love the Dresden Dolls. That was another one I got into in middle school. There was actually um, a friend that I had in elementary school that I was really close with, and then I didn't see her for years because we went to different schools. And then in eighth grade, I had like run into her somewhere and found out she lived right down the street from me. And we started hanging out, and she showed me girl anachronism by the dresden dolls and i was like holy shit this is the best thing i've ever seen i'm obsessed with amanda palmer yes, I love her. oh man that really brought me back that was fun yeah that was fun good okay. stuff i still love most of that stuff except for cradle of filth not, no, not gonna talk about it <laughs> all right are we ready to talk about natural born killers fuck yeah so what's your history with this movie because you're a huge fan of this one and i think that you've seen it many more times than i have yeah i mean i was a definitely a big fan back in I guess I had to have been middle school. Middle school? When it yeah. came out. Because I'm trying to think. Yeah, I, I was definitely in middle school. Yeah, it came out in 94. Four. Yeah, so, so you I were had to have eight. Been. When, when did you start middle school? 11, 12. 11, 12? Yeah. So it was definitely. And I always out. started shit earlier. Like I was always younger than everybody else. So um, it was out for a while. Yeah, I, prob- I probably yeah. watched it when I was like nine. I'm guessing. <laughs> you probably saw it younger than you think you did. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Probably more impressionable. Yeah. No, I I distinctly remember not watching it. I don't remember watching it for the first time by any means. I just remember being a big fan of it. I remember I was in my high school days. I was very very interested in serial killers. You know, I was like reading books about like Jack the Ripper in particular. I was reading like all the top twenty serial killer books and that kind of stuff. And everybody thought I was fucking weird. Same. And then obviously the music I was listening to, I was. 
from the time I was in third grade, I've liked Nine Inch Nails. Even before I knew their music, I just knew they were fucking cool. <laughs> and um, I used to have a, a pencil box, and I would cover it in electric tape, and like the negative would be the Nine Inch Nails logo. And so third grade, such so a I, cool third grader. <laughs> I like. I literally didn't even know the music. It's just that Sherry, my sister, listened to them, and I saw the posters, yeah, and I know it pissed off my cool. mom. Yeah, and so it was just inherently cool. So this was like you know, Nine Inch Nails all over the fucking movie. It had all kinds of other good music I was into. It had serial killer aspect to it that was fun and campy. It was untraditional. This yeah. film goes ultra violent, ultra fun. And it also had such a wide range of music in it that as we were, it was funny because as we were watching this, I was like, there's music in this that I later came to be a huge fan of that I didn't know of during that time or didn't even register at that time. In particular is Leonard Cohen. Was that the first time that you had heard Leonard Cohen? It must have been, but yeah. I didn't register it because it was not... Because you were younger. I was younger and like Leonard Cohen isn't what you listen to in sixth grade. Yeah. And it was just like a slow dance song back then. And now I didn't even realize it was in there until we watched it this time. And I was like, oh my God, it has everything I fucking love. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised you didn't have Rage Against the Machine on your list. That was in there too. I still love him. We're going we to need another hour to talk about the rest of the bands. <laughs> That's awesome. And I also, I was, uh, as you mentioned at the beginning of this, I was very, was is probably a, a strong thing to say. I, I'm a bit of a contrarian. A and I was definitely a contrarian back in the day. <laughs> and very cynical. And this movie is confrontational and cynical and sarcastic and basically made to piss people off and i think and I, it did and i think i really identified with that and had mad respect yeah after going so long without seeing this movie again i really wasn't sure how it was gonna hold up and for the first like 30 to 40 minutes of this movie all i kept thinking was oh my god this is a mess the direction is a mess the shots are all over the place what am i watching but then once it hit like that 40 minute mark it clicked and it worked. But I couldn't stop thinking the way that this was shot and knowing that this was a movie that came out in the early to mid 90s. I was thinking, wow, this is like a compilation of every single thing that was on cable TV in the 90s. Absolutely. It totally nailed that. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I was on the same token. As we were watching this, I'm like, what the fuck did I pick? Yeah, it felt and like flipping through the this? channels. But then, like on you said, TV it clicks the and you're like, this is brilliant yeah it, you could not have done a better job of trying to convey to the future what 90s television was like yeah you literally feel like you're aspect. flipping through the channels and there are these shots in the background that flash and jump around and the tvs on the actual movie too are constantly flipping through channels and moving and nothing ever holds still and it's just constant bombardment in your face right just like TV was back then. Even to this day, there's something about cable TV that just depresses me. I can't watch it. Yeah, it's unbearable. Hmm. For that reason, it just feels like it's bombarding you. It does. It's yeah. ob- completely obnoxious. And then, obviously, this movie is very much a commentary on media in general, like especially news media and things like that, you know. And so, I think that that portrayal of like the whole thing is kind of filmed documentary style 
and just that I want to say like like media grabbing or bombastic or attention grabbing. Attention grabbing works. Yeah, no, it's really interesting too what they did with the colors and the even the texture of the film. Like some moments were really clear and others were very grainy, almost like you're watching it through an older television screen. And then they had all the black and white shots too, which kind of made it more that much more disorienting and just in your face. It was. It was very off-putting. And like you said, the way things were cut. And I read that this movie had over 3,000 different cuts. Holy shit. And hold on. So the film had almost 3,000 cuts. Most films have 600 to 700. Negative cutter Donna Bassett cut 4,000 negative images into the film, the most complex job ever undertaken by a negative cutter. Holy shit. So this movie was, as far as the editing and cutting goes, was insane. Jeez. It just puts this high-tension, weird fucking feel to it. Yeah. Like you said, like you spend a good portion of the movie feeling like you're watching a piece of garbage before you realize what they're trying to convey or what Oliver Stone's trying to do with it. Yeah. And it clicks. And I read that he even, during sets, like when they weren't filming, he would blast either metal or African tribal music to keep up the tenseness on set. So, like, people were on edge and didn't feel comfortable and, like, there was no moment of silence. Because, you know, I don't know how much you remember of watching TV in the 90s and being around during the 90s and things like that. But that was what it was like. Like, Oh, yeah. You know, you remember the, the nightly news. Every fucking night there was some, like, advertisement, essentially, for what the, what the latest shooting was or a police chase. Like, police chases were bigger than... Breaking Bad, you yeah, know, well, like Cops you, was on like every channel. Cops was on channels. You had like the reality yeah. TV court shit TV. going. You had court TV. You had yeah. mass shootings going on. It was just like constant. And then you had the weird comedies, sitcoms that like were not at all relevant to normal everyday life. Like these just insanely make believe families that were supposed to be representations of modern America that had no prevalent. You know. Yeah. Speaking of that, of like the, the sitcoms and stuff that were so popular during that time, I thought the way that they portrayed the horrific sexual abuse that Mallory endured at the hands of her father as like a comedy sitcom was so smart and disturbing and off-putting. And to make it like 50s based. Yeah, that was really clever. I, I thought so, too. I, I, really disturbing. It was disturbing, and it also kind of put into perspective the different generations and the influence of media and the way things that were portrayed and what was, like, commonplace for that time. Yeah. And I, I was also reading that um, Rodney Dangerfilm, A, Oliver Stone didn't give him a script. He just said, do your thing. So all the filthy shit that he says, like that's all Rodney Dangerfield. Oh man, that's upsetting. And actually, Rodney Dangerfield was angry and like kind of not into it. Yeah, he was. He didn't understand what Oliver Stone was trying to do. Okay. And so when he was going through these things, he was like, "What the fuck is this? This is disgusting." Yeah. You know, like why do you want me to do this? And he wasn't like understanding that it was how satirical it was. And yeah. then after the film came out and he saw it, then he loved it. 
He realized what was, you know, what he was trying oh, to do with it. Oh, he loved it. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And so that actually was apparently, those scenes in particular was something that the, the fans and the cult classic aspect of it really attached to, like was those particular scenes and how they were filmed. I imagine it's sadly relatable for a lot of people watching it. Like that was the most, I want to say the most human portion of that movie was the those scenes with Mallory and her family and then the brief flashbacks we got of Mickey and his childhood. Hmm. Like the most relatable just as a human being and like going through things growing up and maybe not to that extent, hopefully, but right. it was the most, I want to say the most weirdly grounded scenes in a way, even though they're so absurd, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. There was also the Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Oh my God. That was quote unquote loosely based on what, the Geraldo Guevara. You know who I'm talking about. No. That piece of shit. Her- oh, Geraldo Guevara. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Geraldo Guevara. And I guess Oliver Stone actually initially and, act- and talked with uh, Geraldo was going to cast him for the role to like play himself. And then he decided not to. Gave it to Robert. Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Wayne Gale, was based on that guy. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and that guy Loosely. is known yeah. for basically... Sensationalizing. Big time sensationalizing, shit. but also yeah. like actively trying to put himself into outrageously unethical situations just to try to get a sensational piece. Man, Robert Downey Jr. is just, he's great in everything, but he is just a treasure in this movie. Oh, so good. Why was he Australian? Why do you know. think they made that choice? I have no idea. <laughs> he's just so, he's so good. Yeah. And then, of course, you have Robert, or I'm just kind of having a hard time with names today. Tommy Lee Jones. Oh my God, that's right. Tommy Lee Jones, Woody Harrelson. And then... Um, Amazing cast. Juliet Lewis, who I have to say, she every time she plays a character, I have like this love-hate. You know what? After this movie, it really hammered it home for me. I'm a fan. I am too. I'm a fan. There, there's great. always like this, just this thin veneer of um, right on the edge, just annoying the shit out of me. And she's so good at that. She That's is. what she does. Yeah, no, I know. She's great at I it. I loved her in Cape Fear. She's oh, yeah. so good. And what was that movie with uh, Brad Pitt, California? California. So that, that, was a, that was a good movie. I liked that. I wouldn't, well, I won't say it's a good movie, but I enjoyed it. Was good it. at the time. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I got to ask you, too, when you were in high school, when you were young and watching this movie all the time, in your high school brain, did Mickey and Mallory's relationship, like, kind of give you the warm and fuzzies when you were young? No. A little bit? Me either. No. Definitely not. not. Definitely not. Nope, me either. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Nope. What do you mean they gave you the warm and fuzzies? Nope. You're just like, oh, they're sweet together and they love each other so much and it's romantic. No. No, it didn't seem like a very healthy relationship. Well, now it doesn't. Now that, that we're adults and we then. know better. but <laughs> I mean, I guess I could see as a back dumb teenager, but I wasn't. I also didn't notice until this watch that their entire killing spree was only three weeks long. Like this entire thing, aside from when they were in prison, happened over three weeks. And when I watched it before, I thought it was years for some reason. But all of this happens in three weeks. They kill Mallory's parents. Go on a killing spree across the country, kill like 48 to 50 people all in three weeks. Get married, have a relationship, get bored of each other all in three weeks. But at the same time, that was not uncommon and it's not uncommon for those type of mass murder on the run type of situations. Yeah. Yeah. Normally it's not a decades long situation when you're that brazen about brazen it about well yeah it. it makes more sense now I'm like holy shit that was all in three weeks but i guess you know you can't really get away with that for too long 
Something else to mention is that while after it clicked, mm-hmm. one of the first things that came to my mind is this is how it was done in terms of man bites dog. Yes, exactly. That was something I thought of when we were watching this is this is what man bites dog could have been if it pulled its head out of its own ass. Yeah. You know, and you know, as we talked about in that episode when we covered it, man bites dog was pointing the finger directly at the audience. Yeah. And the viewers and that type of thing. Above everything else, I'm not going to go on all that again. But that was one of the things that I felt I was big time missing the point on. And Natural Born Killers, Oliver Stone isn't pointing the finger at people watching television. He's pointing the finger at the people producing television. Yeah. And the fact that these people are the ones that are sensationalizing this and actively, like Robert Downey Jr.'s character is acting like he's just disgusted with these people but as soon as the camera turns off he's praising them yeah and even the detective who's after you know is responsible for finding these people is a psychopath is a psychopath and is in love with mallory and is obsessed with like what they do and everybody involved in every single situation like the the authorities and the media like they are the ones that are basically worshiping these horrible people yeah and then everyone else is like kind of forced to follow along so i just want to put that out there because i thought that was a very or a much more mature way to go about this of not blaming the audience yeah for sure i think that's very well said and that's part of what makes it work you can't really have a satire that's effective if you're gonna make your audience feel like shit I don't know if you guys can hear that sound, but our dog is apparently having a bad dream and he's crying. <laughs> I don't. This movie was just like all over the place, so it's hard to be cohesive about it. So I apologize, and also it's been a while since we podcasted. Yeah, and it's so I not- feel like this is kind of like piecemeal. So I'm just kind of throwing shit out there. But one thing that came to my mind, also as far as like the cutscenes and everything, I am a big fan of the fact that he threw in animation. There's these weird scenes where like Mickey is like this big bruising beast and just like running over and rampaging. And I thought that was a a neat way to also throw in the violence that's even in cartoons. I'm so glad you brought that up because I kept thinking of those scenes, the animated scenes and how much I liked them. And I was trying to figure out a way to bring it up without just saying, I like those animated scenes a lot. I I liked them just (laughs) to watch them, but I felt felt that was uh, a portrayal that like even in cartoons always is like this toxic masculinity and ultra violence yeah yeah i don't know what it is i really am a fan of animated sequences in movies like that like the first thing that comes to mind is uh kill bill yep. i love the animated scenes mm-hmm. in that and mandy i loved the animated scenes in mandy oh, too, right, yeah. when it was like red's dreams about her yeah i was that, i'm glad you brought that up because i'm like how do i bring that up without just saying oh yeah those animated scenes i like that too yeah. also like i like it a lot i like, I like it. that it's great but yeah you're totally right this movie is comprised of so many different chaotic moments and shots it's really hard to talk about individual scenes because they're not really cohesive so i think you really have to go about it by theme and feeling and perceived intent of the director and filmmakers and everyone who worked on it that's really the only way to, to go not, about it yeah the only way i can go about it So another thing I wanted to ask you about, because I remember I thought it was really disorienting when we were watching it and I made a comment on it about how there are these different really strange shots where it'll show 
people repeating things that they've already said in very odd ways and their faces will be like distorting. And that happened a lot. And you had said something along the lines of you think that it's showing the characters different views of the world or do you remember talking about that? Yeah, I think while we were watching it, what I was getting out of it was the fact that there were moments when it would show that repeated cut, but it would be distorted. And my interpretation is that you were seeing reality through, like you're seeing the real version, Mm -hmm. and then you were seeing the version that the person was seeing. Okay. So, for example... There was actually like one of the first scenes is in that restaurant and there's the waitress. Yeah. Right. And what she says is like, hey, can I refill your coffee or do you want, what do you want to eat? Something totally benign. And the person behind the bar is just like a local. And you can tell, well, later on you you find out that he's like a, a sexist and a pervert. Yeah. And when it repeats, it shows the waitress winking at him and hitting on him and saying something kind of lewd. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, honey, or something sexy. Like, know? that's how he sees it? Like, that's what he's interpreting her as. Oh. And yeah. that happens multiple times where the, the distorted version appears to be what the person is seeing. And, for example, there's a scene where Mickey and Mallory are on, like, a what appears to be a desert ending reservation or something like that and they run into the uh, what i think is an old navajo man yeah and his grandson yeah that was a good scene yeah that was actually one of my favorites that's where we get nine snails for the first time one of three times yes well for the first we saw the director's cut by the way oh that's right yeah Yeah, we watched there were yeah a couple extra scenes it's extra violent too right and afterwards mallory becomes very distraught because she's like why the fuck did you kill him yeah. Like, and she actually, it's the only time you ever see her feel remorse. It was really sad. Both of them kind of do, but particularly Mallory. And it's a, it's a very sad scene and it's different for their characters big time. Like they have no remorse for what they're doing at all. Yeah. And so they're, they're both very distraught about this. And as she's going out, she's seen Mickey kind of trying to justify it. And like all of a sudden he becomes all demonistic yeah and distorted and distorted like i don't know you anymore right and so i I, to me that was mallory seeing mickey for the the demon that he is momentarily i thought mallory was a really compelling character i actually really felt for her and i you know i wouldn't in real life obviously but the way her character was portrayed and the way that they showed her background and where she came from and how she was swept up by mickey and just everything that she had experienced and been through. It was very compelling and interesting. No, I, I thought they did a good job with that as well. And they didn't just make her, they, they could have gone a completely different route with her. Yeah. And the fact that they made her that complex of a character, you know, I have respect for that. For sure. My favorite line in the entire movie was actually during that scene. Was, Bitch, you knew I was a snake. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the old Malibu hotel. That was a good one. <laughs> what do you think was up with the snakes when they leave the little home that they were staying in after Mickey kills him? And they walk out and the entire ground is just every couple inches just covered in rattlesnakes. And they're getting bit and trying to walk through a field of rattlesnakes. I think part of it, now that I'm thinking about it. Okay, here's, what, here's what I'm, where I'm getting at with it. The story that that man told mm-hmm. was the story of following around and, like, keeping a snake next to your side that you know is a fucking snake. And then one day, 
It bites you. And, like, maybe that's what Mallory's doing, that, right? And that was the scene where she actually saw Mickey for, who for a is. snake. Yeah. And so I think that was just big-time symbolism of her feeling like they went into an empty desert. And when she comes out, she realizes that she's surrounded or, like, with a snake. Yeah, that works. Yeah, I think the only real issue that I had with this movie was the length. It was way too long. And I think... It's over two hours. After the first hour, they're already in prison, and the, the whole prison thing is going down. And when I saw that there was still almost an hour left, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I was like, what could possibly happen in another hour? And don't get me wrong, I was entertained the entire time, but I was feeling the length this time around. I think it could have been cut down quite a bit. Agreed. And I know we watched the director's cut, but I think the director's cut is only like four minutes longer right. than the original. But it was definitely too long. It was. Still had a good time. I had, oh, I had a great time. I really enjoyed this movie. What did you take out of or what's your interpretation of Robert Downey Jr.'s character of going from a quote-unquote journalist to becoming an active participant? And then, if I can follow that up with the fact that he is then killed. <laughs> well, if you're doing this from Mickey's point of view, it's you'll never be as cool as me. You can't do what I do. Some people are just natural-born killers, and he ain't. But I guess, I don't know, I kept having this thought, which is, it sounds kind of confusing when I say it out loud, but while we were watching this, I was wondering, like, is this a satire on what some people think the media, quote unquote, makes people do? And maybe Robert Downey Jr.'s character was like a double satire on that? Or was it something else? I feel like there are a lot of threads to pull here, and that's that's another reason why I kind of have an issue with the length and with everything going on. I feel like they could have just narrowed it down a little bit more and made it a little bit more focused on a particular theme or a couple particular themes, and it kind of felt like at times it was trying to say too much and became a little bit convoluted. Did you did you get that impression at all? I agree or? with that, and then I'm just also I'm justifying it in a way because again, the movie was supposed to be about how f- just bananas the 90s and tvs and how incoherent it was and how sensationalized everything sensational and how like they would fucking flip-flop back and forth between this is the bad guy this is the good guy this is how you're supposed to feel now this guy's how you're supposed to feel you would have there would be no resolution to anything like you would be following like robert downey jr's character going insane and start killing people and then the next day there would be no word about it ever again yeah and so there, there, there was no closure. There was no thread to follow. Like, it was literally just a, a strobe light of sensation and carnage. That's the perfect way to describe it, a strobe light. Just sensationalism and carnage and things that are going to be forgotten in the blink of an eye. And just down to the very fact that they intentionally wanted Mickey and Mallory's trial to be on Super Bowl Sunday, mm-hmm. which is the number one biggest day in television of the year every year. So they're literally having a, a murder trial for these mass murderers competing with football. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Oh, I, again, I'm just trying to justify it to some degree. I, th- I think it can be justified. I think the threads are there if you want to pull them. Right. And if you don't, you might hate this movie. I, don't, I, feel, like, I feel like you have to work a little bit to enjoy this movie. But if you, if you do, it's really fun. Yeah, I also have to say, like, if you've never seen this before, there's probably a good chance you're not going to like it. Yeah. It's not an easy watch. It's not. It does take active participation and a desire to be part of this movie. And be bombarded. It's kind of exhausting. Like It's fun, but two hours of just like 90s sensationalist television flashing at your face. It's If you've ever seen 
you know, Clockwork Orange. It's kind of like that where you're like, you have the toothpicks propped in your eyes and you're just kind of forced to just watch random shit. Yeah. That's a yeah, perfect way to describe it. All that being said, I still really enjoyed this movie. I'm, I was I'm not pleasantly surprised. I had I a great really time. I really still enjoyed this. I did. I had a great time. And the I more I the thought soundtrack. about it and preparing for the podcast and now that we've talked through it some more, it was it was a good movie. Yeah, I agree. I don't have a lot to critique on this. I don't really either. Just the length and the fact that it's not something I could just sit down and watch any time because it is kind of tiring. Like, you're tired at the end of it. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. But I, I really appreciated what, what they were going for, what they were trying to say, the way that it was shot, and just the fact that I spent the first 30, 40 minutes thinking, this is a mess, the direction is a mess, and then I made a complete 180. I was just pleasantly surprised and impressed that it was able to do that, even now at 30. It still holds up. Yeah, I don't feel like there's a lot of movies that do that for me or can, where I've gone into it feeling like it was a piece of shit, and then it turned itself around. Yeah. And... I also have to just give props to Oliver Stone because I don't think he's made another movie like this. Yeah. It was a very unique directing experience, I think, or at least project to undertake. And he did a good job with it. Yeah, for sure. Like, I this wasn't I only... just like his MO and he like normally does crazy bombastic films. Yeah, it was kind of a one-off for him. I know that I've seen at least one of his other movies, which was The Doors. And I haven't seen that since, like, high school, and I really enjoyed it. I, I'm sure I, I think I've seen at least one more of his movies, but I'd really like to check out more of his work. I'm a, I'm a fan. So before we wrap up, I'm sure that at the time this movie came out and the nature of the movie and the degree to which critics hated it, I'm sure that there was some pretty intense controversy surrounding it, right? Yeah. When was it that Columbine happened? So I think that was 98. 98? So this movie came out before... This came out before, like, the huge spike, actually. I mean, it started to ramp up in the the 90s and everything, but it's kind of another thing. It was almost a little bit ahead of its time because, you know, if you, like, look at the... I see that you have a a chart here, and I'd like to know more about that. (laughs) This is just from, like, the Economist, and it was just a graph from starting from the 80s and the 2016 of mass shootings. It looks like it's steadily going up. Yeah, so Columbine was 99. 99, April 99. So this is definitely a bit ahead of its time as far as that goes. And it it was really in the the beginning of the 2000s where it really ramped up. Obviously, Columbine was a huge, huge impact as far as like the breadth and magnitude of that situation but the, the as far as like numbers and also just bigger events as well they were like the 2000s up into 2010s were bad times yeah for sure but i, I was surprised by that because i when we started watching this i thought for sure this had to have been like after columbine i thought so too i didn't realize that it had come out so early in the 90s yeah so definitely ahead of this time in, in that capacity yeah, I, I can just imagine like the outrage and the controversy that was surrounding this movie at the time it came out. I'm sure that there was. I guess a there lot was of uproar over a it. couple "quote unquote" copycat killers. Oh, that really? Claimed. You know how? I mean, it always happens. Like whatever it is, like people, psychopaths and murderers and complete immoral piece of shits decide to kill people and then they blame it on something. Yeah. Or say, you know, this is why I did it. So and so made me do it. So I guess there was two different. Or at least two notable copycat killers, like couples that 
went and on a quote-unquote murder spree or murdered like a convenient like went into a convenience store or department store or something like that claiming to have been inspired by mickey and mallory and in particular there was one in oklahoma and i'm not going to mention any names but there's a businessman that was killed there was another woman that was paralyzed and um, the guy that was killed was actually a friend of uh, john grisham's who's the famous author. Oh, wow. And he fought hard to try to, uh, or thought that Oliver Stone should be held accountable for the actions of these people. Really? And took him to court. And I think either financially or at least publicly um, supported that notion. It was eventually dismissed, but I thought it was ironic. feels like not quite the right word for this, just because of the fact that people obviously died. Yeah. But the fact that he was making a movie about that very thing, yeah. about the fact that media tries to blame these sources for the actions that people make in life, and then that turn around and like shot him in the foot in a, in a sense, or I don't know how to put it, but like I, I know what you're saying, yeah. Like when people like people blamed Marilyn Manson for all kinds of fucking suicides, Columbine, yeah, they blamed him for Columbine, Columbine, yeah. you know, music, video games. It's always been like that, and so like there's always some kind of scapegoat, and we never want to acknowledge the fact that we have a systemic problem in our society and the way that we interact and communicate with our, our children and with each other that. There's a bigger problem. We always want it to be some simple solution, like they watch too many XYZ movies, you know? Yeah. And so the fact that in trying to bring that to the forefront, it happened, and he was brought to court for it. It was just, I don't know, like I said, ironic just feels like a shitty word, but I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely I definitely see what you're saying. I agree. I can't really think of another word besides ironic. Tragically ironic, I guess I could say. Tragically ironic. Yeah, I was going to say unfortunate, but yeah. yeah. The last caveat I want to throw into this and this is just the fact that with these type of situations, not to say that anyone's necessarily to blame as far as like inspiring people, at least in, in my point of view mm-hmm. and from the research that I've seen. But one thing that does definitely, and this again is taking media, making media accountable, is the fact that the people that commit these crimes are, as this movie shows, are sensationalized and given fame. And that is a motivator to people. It absolutely is. And I am a strong supporter of when any of these events take place, present the facts of where it took place, tell us about the victims, but give no credence and no notion and no notoriety and no information about the actual perpetrator or alleged perpetrator of these crimes. Yeah. Like there I should be yeah. zero there should be no name, there should be no picture, there should be no, no anything. Yeah. Nothing. I one hundred percent agree. I, totally I know that agree. they've done similar things in other countries with this like mass shootings or even just killing suicides even. They've shown that there will be spikes in suicides because of a national suicide takes place, like a celebrity or something like that. And then you'll have a spike of suicides. And it does take place. And when you bring that to the forefront, like people are susceptible things and you never know what kind of place somebody is in at that particular point in time. And it, it does, at least according to the data and the studies that they've shown, it makes a huge difference of not focusing the attention in the wrong place. 
Yeah. I totally agree. And not just mass shootings, like serial killers, like all that kind of shit. Like, it drives me nuts. But, oh, especially, You know, yeah. we... Ted Bundy. Like, everybody fucking knows Ted Bundy, and he's, like, all over the place. Special after special after special. And I bet you that 99% of people couldn't name one of his victims. Yeah, 100%. So true. So, fuck them, and yeah. don't give them any... Fuck those people. Fuck those people, and... Do not give them the limelight. It is nice to see, especially now and in recent years, that those stories being told are definitely more victim-focused than they used to be, and it's going more in that direction. It is, Which yeah. I appreciate. You know, and then some people, like, claim, like, well, if we don't do it, like, this news outlet doesn't do it, the other one will. It's like, yeah. okay. Yeah. So what? Them, you can't yeah. control them, but start, have some courage and take up the reins on this. Maybe everybody else around you is saying who that person is. It doesn't mean that this news organization has to. to. So I would really appreciate it if uh, anybody that is in the media or the news would pony up and grow some balls. (laughs) Yeah, I'm done. You're done? I'm mad. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, overall, I really don't have a lot of complaints about this movie other than it's not super easy to watch just because of the the strobe light effect, I guess I'll call it. It's just, it's a lot coming at you. And I know that's intentional and it's it's really fun. It's a good time, but it is a lot and it's very long. So that's, that's going to factor into my rating. But since this was your pick, I'll let you go ahead and give your rating first. And we rate on a scale of zero to 12 beers. So mm-hmm. what are you going to give Natural Born Killers? I'm in between 10 and a half and 11. Oh, wow. Okay. Nice. That's high. It's a good movie. Like I said, there's not a lot I can knock on it, and it's got great music. Oh, the music is amazing, but I was actually at about a nine and a half for my rating. I think I'm going to stick with that, just because I I can't sit down and watch it any old time, and I I don't quite have the same history with it that you do. I haven't seen it as many times, but the music is a huge factor for me. I've really enjoyed myself, but I don't see myself just sitting down and watching it any time, so I'm going to have to stick with the nine and a half. I don't yeah. use those criteria as a knockoff, though. Like, just because no, I don't yeah. want to watch something again doesn't mean it wasn't good. Oh, for sure. I agree. Yeah. But, yeah, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do nine and a half. All right. That works for me. I gave The, the Last Exorcism. I'll stick with the yeah. ten and a half, then. That's a good score. I think I gave The Last Exorcism a nine or a nine and a half, and I love that movie. But I just couldn't go over. So what kind of beer would pair with this? I was thinking about this, and I felt like since this is a movie that shows an american couple road tripping Mark. killing they're probably slamming cheap trashy beers on their road trip and i was thinking what cheap trashy beer was really popular in the 90s and i feel like it could only be mickey's malt liquor perfect mickey's big mouth if you want to get your money's worth you got to get the big mouth yeah can you still get those i'm pretty sure you can i know my mom and her piece of shit boyfriend were big fans of that back in the day yeah Mickey's Big Mouth. Yeah, so uh, pair it with that or something better if you want. But if it's available, it's cheap. Pound a Mickey. Pound a Mickey. Sounds dirty. It does, yeah. Present yourself a Mickey Big Yeah. (laughs) 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 If you want a pound of Mickey, pound it, but you know. I feel like that would make me sick. Pounding a Mickey? Pounding a Mickey, yeah. The more we talk about it, the weirder it gets. Yeah. Moving on. Moving on. What's our next movie? All right, well, it's my turn to pick the next movie, and... All this talk about music that we used to like and nostalgic movies kind of got me feeling nostalgic. And we've also taken a little bit of a break from the podcast, which means we've kind of taken a break from horror and I've been missing it. I want to get back to my roots. So I thought that we would go back and watch the movie that solidified me as a lifelong horror fan. 
So we are going to watch for our next movie, The Sixth Sense. Nice. That was the movie that made me a lifelong horror fan and traumatized the shit out of me as a kid. So I'm looking forward to talking about that one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing about it. All right. Well, it is so good to be back. I'm excited to watch The Sixth Sense. And as you guys know, you can follow us on Instagram at Blood, Fear, and Beer Podcasts. If you have movie suggestions, beer suggestions, just want to shoot the shit and say hi, we would love to hear from you. We love getting emails. I get super excited. You can email us at bloodfearandbeer at gmail.com. And if you get a chance, please take a second. And if you're using Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Or just rate and leave a review if you can. It really, really helps us out. It has been helping us out. And to everyone who's done that so far, thank you so much. Absolutely, big time. And until next time, keep it spooky. Cheers. Join us again for another episode of Blood, Fear, and Beer. Night, night. <laughs>